Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast. In this episode, finally going to progress to the next discipleship question, which is question 11. These questions go to 11? They go to 12. Oh. And I know what you're wondering, why 12? And my answer to that is, I don't know. It just seems like discipleship and 12 <laughs> really go together. And I don't have any reason why. You're horrendous. It Tribes just seems like a really discipley number. It works well in a quarterly. The gems on the ephod? Yeah, and it does work well in a quarterly Bible study. You need to get your book done. We are going to get my book done. Amen. I actually talked to a pastor today who is interested in purchasing it and using it in his church. And you need Ooh, to get your so book I done. So I need to get it done. Um, Tim, what should he do? He needs to get his book oh, done. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't think we understood that from what you were saying a moment ago. I think I need to change it all and edit it for like a fifth time in, you know, maybe 2025. No, that's what no, I'm going to do. I'm going to do that for the fifth time and the sixth time and probably the seventh we're, time. We're Once you finally to, get it to me. So, okay, we'll move on. But <clears throat> that that material is going to be submitted to, I'm air quoting, it's not air quotes, it's a real entity, Faith Publications, in the middle of the summer with the goal of it being uh, in print by the, I think it'd be a great Christmas gift. It hopefully could be available around that December time. That's kind of our, that would be our goal. Our abstract timeline for 12 discipleship questions. I understand. I need to have it soon. Yeah. I'm well aware. You tell me all the time. And so uh, (laughs) I just love that we've been doing this for three years. Tim's been the books and business guy. And now he's literally running the books and business publication. This is so good. I just love this. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. Guys. And so, so we're going to look at question 11 today, which is what kind of vessel am I? And so we're going to build from second Corinthians to some other passages. But before we do that, we, as always have some thinklings business to tend to books and business. Let's talk about some books and I will go first. I, uh, I couldn't for a very long time. Remember who recommended this to me? It was pastor. Emphasis on Pastor Jason Conable at Slater and uh, working with our good friend, Pastor Jariah Shank. Hey, And uh, Jason was in my office today and he saw this book and he's like, oh, hey, you got that book? And I'm like, oh, you're the one that recommended it to me. Yeah. And so, okay. Thank you, Jason. So it is called Deep Discipleship by JT English. The subheading is How the Church Can Make Whole Disciples of, Christ, of Jesus. And, um, I, I looked it up. I was like, you know what, if you're going to write a book on discipleship, you probably read as many things about it as you can. So, um, I have just started it. I'm almost halfway or more than halfway through the first chapter, um, where he is trying to do what I, I would say in my expert opinion is what you should do in the first chapter of a discipleship book. Wink, wink, nod, nod, which is define discipleship and define oh. what this successful discipleship is. Defining so, terms just gets me so excited. And so here's, here's some good quotes. Discipleship, then, is about a redirection of our loves to the one who is lovely. Great quote, JT. Great quote. That's so good. It's like he's reading my introduction. I know. Oh, that's good. Uh, another great one. We cannot forget this great ministry practice that is not fueled by a great God is the greatest tragedy. Ooh, that is really, really good. good. I'm thinking of, oh, that's good. And then he starts talking about measuring discipleship and he says uh, a couple of quotes here and then I'll be done. Um, 
programs, studies, and ministry initiatives are great, but they are not the fuel or even the goal of deep discipleship. Sure, we may be able to use these things efficiently and effectively to make disciples, but the question is, disciples of what? Mm. Ooh. Two paragraphs down on that page. Man, this is We good. can't measure discipleship by how many people are in small groups or how many are in our classes or how many Bible studies they have completed. True discipleship can only be measured by a disciple's ability to connect all of reality to the triune God. When we think about discipleship, we are thinking about our ability to be reoriented to God, and we begin to see that God initiates discipleship, that God is the source of discipleship, and hmm. that God is the goal hmm. of discipleship. And uh, so I, I like what I'm reading so far, but it's, you know, when you, when you read someone using the same terms as you, it's always just important to, you know, understand them on their terms. Like he, he's using some similar phrases and ideas as me, but I don't think we completely match up. And so I'd, I need to read the full book and then, you know, really consider. But I like it so far. Deep Discipleship by JT English. Those are some really good quotes. I mean, just if the whole book progresses the way those, that first section's going, that's going to be a good If book. I was to use a word to describe those quotes, I think they're pretty spicy. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How many peppers would you give that? Scale, uh, scale of one to ten. How many a peppers? Scale of one to ten. Oh, how boy. many peppers? Well, I'm, I'm going to reserve any rating for okay, the okay, Thinkling's goodness scale, which we haven't really we haven't really hammered the Thinkling's goodness scale lately. But we need to get back to you know the good things. <laughs> uh, I wa- so last thing last. Okay, this is sorry because we're getting sidetracked. I was at growth groups at church on Sunday, what? and we were talking about. The sermon was about how scripture, God's word, is the basis of the gospel that Paul reasoned in the synagogues in Acts 17. And we're talking about how scripture needs to be the foundation of our evangelism. And uh, and so we were talking about that in growth groups. And the last one of the last questions was, so how can you improve in your knowledge and use of scripture? And it was like, read it. Like this, the comments mm-hmm. were like, read the Bible, <clears throat> read it with your friends. like read good books about the Bible. And I was like, you know, <laughs> sounds like reading good books and having conversations with your friends would be a really good way to do that. Hmm. And it's like, Oh, and I was like, I actually have a really nice podcast that does that too. And they're like, Oh, <laughs> anyway. So, uh, yeah, we need to get back to, back to the basics, the thinkling's goodness scale, and good books and all that stuff. Anyway. Amen. Not that we ever left it, but I rated my last book, last yeah. week's book. I rated it. We need to make Thinkling's Goodness Scales t-shirts. I'm a 10 on the Thinkling's Goodness Scales. We need to give away a t-shirt. You have wanted that t-shirt for a long time. We need to give away a t-shirt. We never even gave away that Four Loves book. You've got like two other books down there to give away too. I've had books to give away? That's C.S. Lewis. It's the full six volumes. It got a little damaged and I got it for free. It's down there on my shelf. Oh, this. Yeah. And there's something else down there too. I don't remember what it is. We've been really, we're really bad. We have stuff to give away. We just we, are really bad we about had doing a, it. We had a poetry thing. I know the haiku or whatever. Oh, yeah. We did have some people email in on that. I know. We never even gave the book away. It's TBD. still sitting. TBD. Yeah. I'm the haiku champion. Yeah, three three <laughs> months later. We're we will announce a haiku champion soon. Yeah, it has been kind of, you know, we all have had. We've had some things happening. On, so, you know, some minor life yeah. things. Yeah. Anyway, um, Tim, my turn. What's your book? So, I've been reading Non Toxic Masculinity by Zachary Wagner. I'm going to, uh, I'm pretty, I'm done with it, but I'm going to save that one for another uh, episode. 
Uh, I'm going to just talk a little bit about Faith Publications and Song of Songs for Singles. It is now available through fbbcbooks.com. And so uh, you can actually place a pre-order. We have a release date of July 8th. Um, It's going to take me six weeks to get the books from the printer once I place the actual order, which hasn't happened yet. But I got the proofread copy back from the proofreader today. And uh, let's just say... You know, you write a book and it looks really, really good. And then <laughs> somebody looks at it again and it's just, but anyway, this thing's got to fly off uh, into the printer and get done and, and we're getting there. I'm hoping to have the Kindle edition yeah. uh, done up here, but uh, July 8th is the date. We have a 35% discount at fbbcbooks.com available right now. Uh, the shipping is not free shipping, but if you live in the area, you know, just have it pick up in store. We'll have it there for you. And that's a really good discount. Um, I don't know when you'll see it at that price again. So that's kind of where we're at with Song of Songs for Singles. Um, and uh, we do hope to have Audible. That's right. At some point working on that right now. Too. Oh, that would be awesome. Now, I have to like figure everything out every step of the way. And it's super annoying. I thought all I had to do was export the f- file from InDesign and then upload it to Amazon for the Kindle edition. And I've learned it's not that easy. Ugh. That's like every (laughs) step is not that easy. So I'm done. Well, for my books and business this week, I picked up the creeds of the church, a reader in Christian doctrine from the Bible to the president or present edited by John Leith. This is a, it's just a, a, a book that has all of the major church history creeds um, from the earliest days of the church till now chronologically arranged and then put in one place. So you could go and get the Belgic confession and you could get the canons of Dort and you get all these different creeds. Um, but this guy has put them all together in one book for us. <clears throat> Heidelberg catechism. Well, all of, I think, yeah, it's got, he's got a bunch. I, I ordered two of these. I ordered this one and then another one by, I forget the guy's name, but it's only has basically the, mo- the reformed, creeds not the outsider ones um the reason i'm doing this is because i've wanted to dabble in church history and denominational theology a little bit more lately and sometimes if you want to know what a lutheran believes you can read about lutherans or you can just read a lutheran mm. and so the creeds and the uh catechisms and um like doctrinal statements would be a good place to start so um i'll, I'll do a little bit longer discussion of this this is interesting so this was a church history textbook back when i took church history with dr george and I remember reading it not very carefully back then. Yeah, when you're a MDiv student and you're reading, a, you know, the Heidelberg Catechism, it's just kind of like, yeah. And this is, I mean, this is like 600 pages, and you've got you got Myron's books, and you got all this other stuff. But we, we weren't the best students. What's interesting though is, so he goes by century. We weren't soldiers. That's it. We had an episode it's about true. that. It's true. <laughs> Go back and listen to that, Jim. It's true. Did that was you, a good one. Did you have to read Creeds of the Churches? Was that your... <clears throat> um, no? I had to. I think I did in church history. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think all we right. all did. We yeah. all did. Yeah. From George. And I don't know how I didn't own a copy. Maybe I just sold it or borrowed it or something. <laughs> so I had to buy it on thrift books. Um, but it really does have all the creeds. And they're they're... They're, they're chronological until you get to the Reformation. And then you have, it's arranged by like the Lutheran Confession, the Reformed Creeds, the English Reformation, 
the Anabaptist confessions, they were very anti-creedal, but they still did produce some confessions. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and then you've got some like Protestant scholasticism, Baptist creeds, Methodism. Um, does it have the London Baptist confession in it? Oh yeah. It has LBC. It does omit. He said he does. I mean, it even has the Barman declaration. That was like an anti-Hitler, uh, creed. Hitler was rather paganistic. Um, I'd like to do more research on that, but he used Christian terms. Um, he says like Jesus was like this conqueror and a man of violence against evil. And we should, it was, it was he, he used the turning over the tables thing. Mm. Hitler did as like a justification to turn over the tables of Europe or whatever. It was like really bad. And the Barman declaration was sort of a, an appeal to orthodoxy for the churches in Germany. All that to say though. So I'm reading this and I'm, I'm only in the introduction, but he says some things. The author tries to set the table for you as a reader um, because this is like reading a reference book. This is kind of like reading a dictionary or an encyclopedia. It is a reference book. Right? It is. Yeah. yeah. And that's what it has. It's still confessions and those are important and interesting, but it's going to have a feel like you're reading a dictionary for some people. So he makes some interesting explanatory comments. He says from the beginning, Christianity has been theological involving men in theological reflection and calling them to declarations of faith. And I do think that that's interesting to think about from the very beginning. Christian Christianity has been all about theological beliefs, not just ethical beliefs. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big distinction. The liberalism of the late 1800s and early 1900s, because it pulls the supernatural out of Christianity, all it has left is ethical systems that are subjective. And so he's making a really good point here at the beginning. He goes on and he talks about how um, it is not just that you recite it. You have to actually believe it and it affects the mind. He makes the point that Christianity has always been a mind system, not just a emotion or feeling system. Like you have to believe something in your mind first. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Then he goes and he discusses, he says this, he says, he does balance that. He says the confession of faith is an essential moment in the life of a Christian in confession. The believer speaks out in front of men and with men, the silent thoughts and affirmations of his heart and his mind. He makes outward what is inward in confession. The believer takes his stand, commits his life and declares what he believes to be true, affirms his ultimate loyalty and defies every false claim upon his life. The confession of faith is the seal of faith and the courage of faith. Now, I think he's getting quite eloquent there at the end, but it is interesting. Part of the role of your church's doctrinal statement or your denomination's uh, statement of faith or whatever it is, a lot of that is to say, like, this is what we believe. Right. And you should confess to believe that. Now, have there been times in history where people have said they believe things that they didn't? Yeah, and that happens all the time, and that's the issue. Yeah, so a lot of these are still only as good as those who like oversee them or, or whether you truly believe. Yeah, they're the integrity of the ones mm -hmm. who say they believe it. Um, he says also, he says, the confession of faith is never merely a matter of the mind, as important as the mind is. The confession commits more than just the mind. It commits all of your life. And I think that's just a whole person discussion, which he's talking about. But it's interesting. I thought the whole opening essay was worth reading. He talks about different reasons that creeds and confessions arise in church history. And one of the, the, the really good bits is at the very end. He's talking about the authority of creeds, like what kind of authority do they hold? Now, I'll ask you guys, in church history, 
when you think of a creed and you think of the authority of creed, the creed, like, what do you think of? Is there any t- anything in church history that jumps out at you? Well, you have the church councils and then you have the Pope. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's a good starting place. So tell us about the church councils and tell us about the Pope, Tim. Like, what are the church councils when you're talking about? Well, that's where you have a group of leaders within the ecclesiastical or maybe political church mm-hmm. saying this is what is true. And then there's a connection to uh, punishment. Yeah. Um, punishment's kind of a big deal there. Excommunication. Which is more than just a church thing. It's a salvation it's, thing. Yeah. It's like you're going to die kind of a thing sometimes or. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> in, in, pa- in the past, like you have the early church councils where the, the universal statements like the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Constantinople Creed come out. And those are all, we would agree with, I think, 99% of those. The Athanasian Creed. Yeah, that's the, I, was, I know I was missing one of the big four. Um, I don't know if that would qualify as a big four, but ah, it's pretty important. Athanasius is a pretty sweet dude. When you come later, though, you have like the Vatican Councils and you have the Council of Trent and you have some of the Catholic doctrine. Except he allegorized the Song of Songs. <laughs> Hey, remind me when we're done recording, I have a story about allegorizing the song to tell you. (laughs) Keep going. I could tell it now. Uh, Council of Trent. So my point is, in church history, creeds were used as like a, uh, like some sort of a weapon, you might say. Uh And so because of that, there were groups that were very anti-creedal. So like the Anabaptists, man, they didn't want you to have any sort of a statement like that. And so they didn't produce hardly any doctrinal statements, but when they did, they called it a statement of faith. So listener, I bet your church has either a doctrinal statement or a statement of faith. That's actually a really good thing. And part of what this guy is saying is that some Christians have tried to separate Christianity from statements of faith. And they've even said things like just the Bible. That's all we need for our statement of faith. So he's addressing that. And he says, many attempt to get rid or dispense with dogma and to minimize the creeds. As has been indicated, there has never been a non-theological period in the history of the church. Even when the church has been held together only by the common life and the spirit, a creed has always been implicit. The endeavor to have no creed, but the Bible is successful only as long as there is common agreement to what as to what the bible teaches so i thought that was a really interesting it's not the end but it's very close to the end of the essay of the opening of the book you can i think sometimes christians think why study church history why read creeds why do i have to subscribe to something can't we all just love jesus yeah why is doctrine so important yeah it just divides let's be all together why do i have to go through this oral examination do you know how sick I am of orals? I got to sit in orals. I did two today, oh, it's one like the tomorrow, best ever. four next week. I, I oh, deeply enjoy orals. They're so good. I just have a lot of stuff going on and it just mm. kills a bunch of my time. It does kill a bunch of time. Sure. But I, yeah. I think, I think um, it's important and that's why I do it. So that's kind yes, of the conclusion exactly. to that question. Yeah. My complaint. So, so anyways, this looks like an interesting book. I don't know if I'll talk about it again. I'll be reading it. I just don't know if I'll talk about all these creeds, but um. I do think it's interesting to look back historically and see what we've believed and what the church broader has believed. Um, and it was interesting, his little essay there about, oh, let's just all, some people say that. And he's like, you can't, you really can't do that in Christianity. So I want to read the London Baptist Confession again. Mm-hmm. It's been. 
that's the time. that's the big one. The, oh, uh, that's a pretty influential one amongst the Baptists who are Reformed and Covenantal. Yeah. And I do think like today, especially the 1689 is coming back and it's, it's very, very influential. So G3 Ministries with Scott Annual, they mm -hmm. require yep. of the signing of the London Baptist Confession. Who is that? Scott Annual. Friend of the podcast. Oh, brother. <clears throat> yeah. Maybe he's not. And if he's not, oh, no, we he would wants invite to, him to come. No, he wants to be on. Him. He already said yeah, he wants I know, I'm to. Just, I'm just being facetious and sarcastic. Oh, okay. Sorry. I missed it. Scott, we love you. <laughs> That's see common you for me. And by see you, I mean record with you soon i'm done are we ready i think it's your turn yeah i'm, hey, I'm done let's have another conversation <laughs> about discipleship and uh, this, is, this is what happens when charlie multitasks everybody yeah i was looking at some podcast apple stuff and got a little sidetracked there for a moment but okay we are going to go to question 11 of the 12 discipleship questions which is what kind of vessel am i and the the key word here is vessel. And so there's a really big verse in 2 Corinthians that I think Paul highlights uh, as it's really the foundation of the illustration he's making. And so the two illustrations he makes in 2 Corinthians 2 through 4 is smell and light. And what are what's the illustration? It's the same illustration. It's that out from something, which is us, uh, something either diffuses like a smell or shines, reflects like light. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, uh, clay pots, that the excellence of the power would be of God and not of us. So what is the treasure? The treasure there, he'd be referring right back to verse 6, where he's talking about the light of the glory of the knowledge of Christ. And, uh, but that is also parallel with the smell. So the treasure is the smell or the light of Christ. Where is that treasure? It's in the vessel. And, uh, we kind of looked in that last podcast about how ministry happens when God is producing that treasure in the vessel. And how does he do that? Well, that's kind of been our whole paradigm is God uses trials because his will is to transform us. So he reveals what's going on in our heart and wants us to respond the correct way. And uh, what would be a correct response? Humbling, yielding, submitting, uh, essentially walking in the spirit. And if you learn to walk in the spirit and turn from your flesh, God will produce in you like in the in the vessel a different character and as that character of christ is produced it um shines to other people and it produces life in some and death in others or they they either accept or reject it and so what's interesting to me is that idea of vessels comes up multiple times in uh, other pauline epistles and uh so i think it's 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 good for us to maybe broaden out how Paul is using this idea of like, I'm the vessel, what's in me? And 2 Corinthians highlights the positive aspect of it. Like when you are, keyword, cleansing yourself, turning from sin, walking in the spirit, the positive side, what will it produce? The aroma of Christ, the light of Christ. Uh, but I think you kind of get a different view of that in another passage where I think he's sort of addressing the exact same thing. What type of vessel uh, does God use in ministry? And this comes up in 2 Timothy. 
So let's go ahead and look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. And you'd think I would be prepared and have that pulled up, and I do not. So hold on one second. Can't find 2 Timothy 2. Well, that's, there's a problem there. There we go. 2 Timothy 2 verse 20. And uh, I love 2 Timothy 2 for the beginning of the chapter. You know, be strong in the grace that you've received and commit to faithful men what you've been entrusted with. Uh, a great verse for local church methodology of what discipleship would look like. It's taking the doctrine, teaching it to other people, people who have character and ability to teach other people. So it's multiplication of disciples. That's great stuff. Same chapter, 2 Timothy 2, verse 20. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels, same word he uses in 2 Corinthians, vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some of honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So, I'm going to pitch it over to you guys. In those two verses, are there any ideas or phrases, not maybe exactly the same, but theological ideas or phrases, etc., that remind you of things that we've already seen Paul express in 2 Corinthians. Tim, what do you think? Uh, I have an idea, but... I don't know. There's two kinds of vessels. There's honorable and dishonorable. Yes. Okay. Okay. So there's gold and silver and wood and clay, and gold and silver would like pass the test and wood and clay would burn up. Is that... Mm. Uh, okay. So I do think that's interesting to know that... So I think what he's highlighting is just like what everyone would have known. Oh. There were vessels in the house that you would put at your table and people would eat out of them. Right. There were other vessels, wink, yeah. wink, now we're in that a would not room. be in the kitchen, wink, wink, would be in another room of resting, wink, wink, and there would be other things that went in them. <laughs> and you would not use those in the kitchen. Well, that, really, what I'm putting down? that really panned out yeah. well. Yeah. It's horrendous. <laughs> yeah, I don't I, I, so, I was familiar with that, but I didn't know so, how you're connecting that to second. So I think everyone would understand the illustration that go to someone's house. There are different types of containers that hold things. And in the modern world, we don't think about it this way, but just like your sink contains liquid and can contain liquid, there's other vessels in your house where it's not okay to drink water from. Right? Unless you're a dog. It. We got it. Unless yeah. you're a dog. Unless you're, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's what Paul is saying. There's multiple kinds of vessels. And so I think the implication is, well, I want to be the right kind of vessel. Hmm. And so what would be, there, there's two ways to look at it. We still haven't answered the question I want to answer, but what does he prescribe in these verses to be the useful vessel? Well, it's not to change the thing you are. It's to cleanse yourself. Yeah, and this, this is just common vernacular of Jesus. You clean the outside of the cup, but you never clean the inside of the cup. You're whitewashed tombs. Hmm. And so hmm. the inverse would be, just, just like a Pharisee was wrong to conform externally and be uh, externally righteous, but internally wicked, the inverse would be true. So to not care as much about the externals, but to be cleansing myself internally... To cleanse the inside of the vessel would be very important. And so that that is, I think, what he prescribes okay. here. 
Um, so when we say, what kind of vessel am I? You are either a cleansed vessel or an uncleansed vessel. I think that's just straightforward. And we could, I think, uh, plug in some other ideas from Paul's epistles that what would be the process of cleansing look like? What would that process look like? Well, I think that would be an act of submission to God's word and his spirit. So someone who is cleansing themselves would also be walking in the spirit. Someone who's resisting would uh, that cleansing would be prideful and God would be mm-hmm. resisting them from mm-hmm. James 4. And so a lot of those ideas we've already looked at, I think, apply right here. But what does Paul tell Timothy? Hey, you go to someone's house, there's lots of vessels. To be a vessel useful for the master, ready for good work, ready for discipleship, ready for ministry, what's the key? Are you cleansing the inside of the vessel? Hmm. Now, we still haven't answered my question. What things do you see present here that Paul mentioned, and we'll just say in 2 Corinthians 4, and I don't know if you want to look at it or not, uh, I have the benefit of knowing exactly what I'm looking for, so... (laughs) I don't. I don't need to uh, huh. to necessarily look at them again. Well, I mean, you have the flee sexual immorality and everything in Second Timothy too. So these are internal uh, things: the youth, youthful lusts, pursuing yeah. righteousness. So it's a heart thing, an internal desire that's coming out of you. You're you're spot on, and um, you have a pure heart at the end of that verse. So as remember, well. remember back in Second Corinthians four. Having this ministry, mm-hmm. we do certain things and we do not do certain things. We do not lose heart, but we renounce the hidden things of shame. We're not going to walk yeah. in craftiness. Mm-hmm. And what does he say here? We're cleansing ourselves from the dishonorable. We're cleansing ourselves for honorable use. So there's that same idea of a change of affection but a change of pursuit. So we're not, we're not going to be a peddler of God's word. We're not going to do crafty things. We're going to turn from sin and be cleansed and be honorable, do the honorable right thing. And a little bit different terminology, but similar ideas theologically between these verses. And so um, as someone is thinking about discipleship, you know, what kind of vessel are you? I think this works on multiple levels. As you disciple someone, you can ask them, hey, are you doing this? Like, are you confessing sin? You know, God has put a trial in your life and maybe you've become upset. And have you cleaned, have you cleaned the inside of the cup, you know, so to speak. But I think that's just as important for the person doing the ministry, which is Paul is here speaking, it's a pastoral epistle, he's speaking to Timothy, who's a pastor in Ephesus. He's like, you, Timothy, if you want to be used in ministry, Hmm. if you want to do the discipling, you want to commit to faithful men, Hmm. you need to be cleansing yourself. And so I I love how that works together there. Um, Yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? So I was listener. I was having a Lagos Bible software problem behind the scenes here. That's it was why you horrible. Should buy accordance. I'm telling you, like I really, I just, I'm telling you, if you want to search the text, accordance is way simpler. Um, so I, I'm going to ask a question to you. 
okay. that is on my mind, but maybe you've already addressed it and I missed it in my, my prep messing up with the thing here. So in second Timothy in tw- verse 20, in chapter two twenty one, he says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Mm-hmm. So then wh- how do you take the how of the cleansing there? Like, what is the how, like, how do you cleanse yourself in that passage? Yeah. My thought is someone might listen to this and say, well, I want to do that. So then Mm -hmm. according to the passage, I think I know what it says, but what do you think it says about how you cleanse yourself? Yeah. And so, uh, I think we do, we do want to be careful to understand the metaphor that he's making. So when he uses the term cleanse, what word is he using? Is he using cleanse in a sense of just the, the word you would normally expect? Like, oh, I'm cleaning my vessels. Oh yeah. That's a different one. So what is what is the word he uses? It's um it's not katharisa, which I thought would be it's ek ekafirao, which is interesting. I don't even know what that one means. To remove as unclean, so like to get rid of something. So it's not like a full. It's not like the cleansing word, like mm-hmm. washing. It's like to remove things. Well, and and so hmm. I th- he's just. I think it just it fits with the metaphor he's using. Like, hey, go to someone's house. They're serving you dinner, hmm. and you're like, did you clean these out? <laughs> so like, rem- okay. like for me when i put cups in a dishwasher it drives me crazy that i don't think the dishwasher actually gets into the bottom of the cup i'm i'm paranoid about it and like really i'll look into the bottom of cups and you see like dishwasher <laughs> residue in there and you're like it didn't clean the inside of the cup he's, he's just very simply saying you go to someone's house there's all these kinds of vessels and you know some are for honorable use and some are dishonorable okay so timothy you're the vessel and you're in hmm. God's house. Do you want to be a gold vessel, like an honorable vessel? You need to clean yourself out. And you're like, well, what? Is-? So he's building a metaphor. So what would it look like theologically for someone to cleanse themselves? And I think that's the heart of your question. Yeah. And so that's a great question. What do we think? Well, if I'm, if I'm only <laughs> going from 2 Timothy 2, it almost looks like he answers it in 23 and following. He says, so, it's like a result. One, you should flee youthful passions, and then you should pursue something different, righteousness, faith, love. And so it's like all the virtues. Mm-hmm. You should do this along with others who are calling on the Lord from a pure heart. So you should have a pure heart before the Lord. Have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant controversies. As a Lord's servant, don't be quarrelsome. So would it simply be, and, but then at the end, anyways, would it just be repenting and confessing sins and pursuing God. Like, could we make it that simple? I think you can make it that simple. I think you're, you, you both mentioned that next verse in the context there. So in Paul's mind, okay, Timothy, you know, okay. You want to be a vessel for honorable use set apart as holy, useful to the master, ready for every good work, flee youthful passions Mm -hmm. and pursue Mm. righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a a pure heart. Uh, I think you could insert there, you know, okay, Timothy, flee the flesh and pursue the spirit. It's like the other 10 questions. Walk in the spirit. Hmm. Let the the fruit, and I think Peter echoes these same sentiments in his epistles, add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think we would understand that all of those spiritual virtues come as a result 
not of human effort, but of the Spirit of God. And yes, we are involved in that process by yielding and submitting, but we trust that the Word of God through the Spirit of God is what changes the heart. And I think Paul says that here. Peter says that. Uh, so whether it's Galatians 5, 2 Timothy 2, you know, pick whatever passage you want. We're talking about the work of God's Spirit hmm. within. So that's really interesting because, so church history, Martin Luther, he is a monk and he's an Augustinian monk and he knows he's a sinner and he knows he's going to go to hell for it. And so what is he trying to do? He's trying to, to do good, to make himself cleansed. I mean, even to the point where he's like beating himself. And it's interesting that here when it says to cleanse yourself, it's not really giving you the command to punish yourself or make up for your wrongs. It's a, it's a change of direction and a submitting to God. So then if you're a Christian and you sin and you feel really horrible about it and you feel like you got to do something first to make up before you can confess it to God, like that's not the cleansing in this passage. There's no like, I got to, sometimes people who have like besetting sins, they feel like they can't go to God and ask forgiveness and confess and turn because why would God believe me? They got to like live good for a while before they do that. That would actually go against what this passage is saying. Like you just need to turn, confess, submit. That's interesting. Okay. That's, that's all my thoughts. I don't have any more. Tim, do you have any? No, that sounds good. Um, question 11. This is because we were wrapping up question 10, right? Yep. So how's this one different from all of the other ones? Maybe you could summarize that for me. It sounds and, like the same kind of information. Yeah. And, and so a very common occurrence as I force students to read this is they're like, well, you're just repeating yourself. Like, you said that in chapter four, and this is the same thing. And there's a reason I do that. Now, this this is a little bit different. It doesn't make it into the book. There maybe someday will be like a teacher's manual. But who I like to quote when I get those uh, types of rebuttals Ooh, is Peter. I know where you're going. I love Peter's comment. I'm not, I'm not saying this, this is, is a so rebuttal. But. No, but you're, you're like, doesn't this seem like the same thing? And, and it, very, <clears throat> it, it is the same thing. Um, in one sense, I'm trying to broaden out the theology that I think Paul establishes, not just in one passage, but in multiple passages, mm -hmm. uh, where he says in second Corinthians four, you know, you have this treasure in this earthen vessel. Uh, well, why is there a treasure in the vessel? Why isn't there something else in the vessel, like old food or like dirt or some other bad <laughs> something, something would be we, out. We got it. House, out of the house. We got and, it. And where does he build that? He he doesn't talk about the cleansing of the inside of the vessel necessarily in Second Corinthians. He talks about you know what what the spirit's producing in the vessel. But there's a piece of the puzzle there that isn't fully described in that same metaphor. But he then establishes that part of the metaphor in another epistle, where he's using the same word. And uh, you know, Paul and Timothy, I think we're pretty close. I don't know. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that. Yeah, it's something. Listener, I wish you, know, you could have like seen his face. The Holy Spirit, kind of. And so, <laughs> and and what I know from spending a lot of time with other people that I've discipled is they hear me say things so much that they start to think and say it too. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you, Timothy heard all about Second Corinthians two, three, and four. Mm -hmm. And he he heard Paul talk about the treasure in the vessel so many times he was sick of it. So when Paul writes to Timothy and says, Timothy, you want to be a cleansed vessel, an honorable vessel? I bet Timothy, in the most spiritual and benevolent way possible, rolled his eyes like, oh, here we go again. Not really, not truthfully, but he'd heard this. 
And Paul is just reminding him, hey, you want to be useful? You want that treasure to be present? You got to cleanse yourself. And um, I, I guarantee you'd heard it before. And uh, so I think there's a value in broadening out that metaphor as Paul uses it in multiple places. That's why we're looking at multiple passages. But why we're repeating ourselves, which I do all the time. Uh, here is Second Peter. It's actually the passage I was referencing earlier mm-hmm. where he says, uh, how, how much time we got here? Okay, I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to read it. This is worth reading. This is like... So I, this is just Second Peter this. Second Peter 1. I'm it's just so going to start in Second Peter 1. Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Verses 1-4, through God has given us promises that have produced spiritual life. That's pretty cool. Okay, for this very reason, because we have those precious promises that have made us partakers of His divine nature. For that reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, with virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, with self-control, steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and with godliness, brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pause there. That's where I was saying, you know, Galatians 5, he lists these fruits of the Spirit. Here we have this list, and you're like, well, that's not the same list. In Galatians 5, are are these fruits of the Spirit too? And the answer is yes. Yes, they are. (laughs) We would understand these virtues to also be the result of God's Spirit in us, contrary to the work of our flesh. So yes, these are fruits of the Spirit as well. Therefore, brothers, I jumped to verse, I skipped verse 9. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail, never fall, excuse me, I can read. For in this way, there will be there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Some theological sticky issues there that we're not going to address maybe in another podcast. But he's like, because you have the promises that have made you a partaker, continue to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 12, therefore, based on those promises that have made you a partaker and that you are growing in those virtues, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these Mm -hmm. qualities. Even though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it's right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So what's Peter's goal here? I will always remind you of this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to repeat this so much that you're sick of it. And I know you already know it. I know you're established in it. But guess what? I'm going to do this as long as I'm in this body. And I've had students, Charlie, you just say the same things over and over and over again. And I'm like, yeah, it's because the word of God hasn't changed. Like that's your responsibility. Walk in the spirit and you can call it. And that's, there's three sections in our book. The first section is discerning God's will. What is God's will? Well, it's 
seeing the flesh at work through trials, and I need to humble myself. Yep, that's right. You get to section two, it's the same exact truth, we just use different terms to describe it. What's God's will? God's will is for me to not yield to my flesh, it's to yield to the Spirit. And if I do that, He'll produce change in me. It's the same exact stuff from section one, it's just different passages, slightly different theological terms. You get to section three, treasure in the vessel. We're talking about the same exact process. We're just using different passages that describe it in a different metaphor. It's a smell. It's a light. You're a clay pot. What's inside of you? And the reason we're repeating it is because repeating is good. But we're also learning that these ideas are kind of all over the place. Um, So I think there's a couple of good reasons there of why we it, it it's there, there's nothing different between questions one through three and question eleven. It's really the same thing. It's just a different metaphor that uh, Paul builds. All right, you know, um, the world repeats itself all the time. The, the there's no stopping the world's message. It's it's a constant repeating, and I think that's because the enemy knows something about how you're influenced and how you learn. So I, th- I think it's good for Christians to repeat even the same things over and over to one another, just to hear other believers say theological truth. You need to hear that. So I think that's yeah a level of repetition in a book like that. I think is really and good. I'm, I'm dependent on my old pastor, John. And what he, what he likes to do is he asks people to describe themselves using biblical terminology. And so all three of these sections of the book help us do that, Mm. but it's different ways of describing the same experience. So you could say, well, God's will for me is to recognize my flesh through this trial and to humble myself. I could also say God's will for me is to walk in the spirit and not yield to the flesh. I could also say God's will for me is to be a cleansed vessel so that I'm filled with his light and his aroma so that I'm useful for the master. Mm. And each of those things is helping someone exegetically see God's will. And they're, they're able to describe it multiple ways. Uh, and we'll maybe wrap it up with this. Uh, as we quoted in Deep Discipleship, what is deep discipleship? Well, you, you quantify that based on how someone can see reality. Uh, let, me, let me pull up the exact quote. I... I I thought it was a very proverbial statement of what he said. True discipleship can only be measured by a disciple's ability to connect all of reality to the triune God. Hmm. And so that repetition from different passages helps them see more of their own life in light of the word of God. And so, yeah. Any other final thoughts there? We're almost done. We have one more question. I feel like we need to have a party. I'm so excited. Well, we're not going to have a party until oh, yeah. I get it to the, Tim so we, we can get it published. But at that point, we will have a party. And uh, yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. And we'll see you in another episode next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, 
talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.